Long ago, a cataclysmic war among gods and mortals occurred on the world of Exandria. This war, known as the Calamity, ended when the prime deities locked their evil brethren and themselves behind a divine gate that prevents the gods from directly interfering with the affairs of mortals. The gods can still bestow power upon their faithful and send powerful, supernatural beings to help enact their will, but they can't directly touch the mortal works of Exandria. Centuries later, two armies clash on a fog-shrouded battlefield, heralded by the sound of trumpets and drums on one side, and by an eerie, chirping, whistle-like, countless a thousand wailing crickets on the other. A raven, its ebon feathers spattered with blood, alights on one of the fallen corpses and gently wraps its beak on the soldier's helmet. The raven looks up, curious, and flies into the sky. The land, still embroiled in war, expands beneath it, and yet, within the shroud of conflict, the raven sees twinkling pockets of light. The raven sees souls that shine bright with courage, kindness and determination. It sees souls lustrous with greed, fear and anger. And most of all, it sees souls radiating with a desire to discover their place in the world. The raven sees Wildmount, the sprawling continent where we begin our tale. The raven soars over a massive city, sprawling outward from a sombre, monolithic palace. Soldiers and war machines pour from the city, stretching across the land like innumerable grasping arms, greedily encircling the continent. The raven notes this hungry behemoth and alters course. Westward flies the herald of the Raven Queen. It bursts through the clouds above the western mountains and emerges into a land blessed by sun. A sea of lush jungle stretches out beneath the raven until eventually green gives way to golden sand and then to a boundless sapphire sea. Ships swarm on that sea like a cloud of gnats, engulfed by flames and the sound of cannon fire. They fight for freedom. The raven heads north, battered by ice and snow, and it sees petty warlords lead bands of slavers across snowfields and understands that no law but power rules the north. It sees smugglers and thieves flee beyond the grasp of civilization and into the unknown. It sees the vast, roiling wilderness act with fell will of its own, claiming the lives of those who dare attempt to grasp power beyond their understanding. They fight for survival, glory and for greed. Finally, the raven flies east, and it sees beings that would be slain on sight in the other civilised nations of Wildmount, walking side by side with humans and grey-skinned elves. The raven sees that these people have a light within them, and it sees that far to the east there is a mighty fortress that contains a light unseen since the dawning of the world. Here, they fight for the revelation of the end of the world. And above it all, two moons hang in the sky of Exandria, overseeing all the works of gods and mortals. Cather, large, pale orb of peace and tranquility, and the other, Ruidus, a ghostly vermilion satellite that circles Exandria every six months. The constant brightness of Cather is predictable, whereas Ruidus, the harbinger of ill omen, seems to glow more brightly at times, or suddenly casts off its shadow to appear full. This familiar moon often disappears from the night sky entirely, 
while at other times it unexpectedly flares with a bright and ruby light. We leave our winged herald there and begin to focus in to the beginning of our tale. North of the lands of the Kryn, we see a ship tracking slowly southward from the icy seas of the frozen north and heading into the clear green waters known as the Emerald Gulch. Fashioned from ancient oak, with masts that stand as tall and adorned by sails of white to dove grey, this beautiful ship constructed rich timbers, warm brown hue that might remind you of home and hearth, of those quiet family evenings when jokes rise and swirl as the eddies in the water around her bows which now meet the water with regal dignity, creating waves of her own, forging the early path of this adventure with each passing moment. There we go. So Damn. And I'll stop sharing the screen. Nice. Um, I've got cool. a little bit more. Um, will, will, you so, post, will you post yeah, a will you post video? Yeah. I will post a video, yeah. Yeah, I've got to be careful because a lot of the art is from the source books in its critical role, so I can't put it on YouTube or anything. But I'll make sure you've got a copy of it. Um, so there on the back of the ship, we find a young deckhand taking a brief respite from her daily labours. Feech perched on the railing and a fishing rod perched beside her, lying cast into the swirling waters, we see a female air genasi who looks up, eyes bright, as the raven flies swiftly overhead. Sky, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Okay, um, so my character is called Sky, and as I already said, she is an Air Genesi. Um, uh, what do I start with? Uh, okay, with what she looks like. So she's got super like long, thick white hair, and she's got super pale blue skin, pale like grey eyes. Um, she wears like blue leather. So she's got a long bow on her back. Um, she kind of looks like she's got freckles, but when you look closer, it's actually like crystals, like little purple crystals kind of embedded in her skin. Kind of look like freckles. They're super cute. Um, and she wears a lot of like silver jewelry and she's got like a big silver bird necklace. It's like a, it's like a big bird with its arms, like arms, Jesus Christ, wings like outstretched. And it's got like a blue gem in the middle. Um, yeah, that's what sky looks like okay thank you very much yeah and she's fishing thanks could you, could you make a survival check please oh shit 14 14 roll a d6 one you catch a catfish scales glittering in the sun the fish flapping and wriggling as it, you laugh quickly measure the length of it and toss it back fish flying oh. through the air as it dives back into the water embracing its freedom once again Oh. So we're going to leave our young friend there for the joy of her catch and her rest, and we shift our gaze upwards towards the deck. Stood on the navigation deck is a half-sea elf, insignia of rank stitched onto her leather clothing, and her brow furrowed as she casts a wary eye at the mountain storm clouds on the horizon. Maya Vesper, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Um, yeah, Miri is a very tall half-elf. Uh, half She's got dark brown skin. Her hair is jet black, but it's um, it's nicely braided up top as well. Um, there's there's nothing loose, and it's she's very much a sailor. She's used to working the ship, so she's uh, she's scanning the horizon as well, trying to make uh, 
she's focusing on it to try and make a sense of the general weather what they're doing and in in a while once he's finished she will go and head to the um captain just to tell of their of the findings so make a nature check for me please okay i have to get out my actual dice for this oh i didn't expect that so i had to run <laughs> away so ah yes the d20s here it's a three three you have no idea what that storm is doing <laughs> you're trying to tell but you you can't quite make out so you um you head downstairs and you knock on the captain's door you're going to go and say storm clouds on the horizon captain mm-hmm. um and as you enter um captain Kinney looks up from his chart purple skin tiefling focuses on you and you mm-hmm. start discussing the weather with him so we'll leave uh was it miri sorry uh, uh miri miri okay sorry i got it wrong no, no, um um, we're going to leave them to the conversation and we're going to head to the cabin next door, which is a luxury passenger cabin, um, comfortable bed, oak panelled, uh, you know, walls, bit of art on there. Um, and there's a well-dressed, immaculate looking half elf lady relaxing at the cabin table reading and she's thinking about her destination. Um, so Ava, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, OK. My character is Ava. I uh, have a long, long Sort of black raven hair, so it's a bit of uh, shimmery blue in it. Um, but as it says, I am well to do, so I'm wearing <laughs> as well, yeah, nice. no, no, noble born, aren't you, Raz? Huh? Noble born, aren't you? I, I am well born, yes. Well born. Well born, yes. <laughs> um, Rolly investigation check, Raz, if you can. Uh, Have you got your sheet up? I have, just give me one second, I need to find it. Yeah. Oh, there we go, uh, 14, no, 17. 17, excellent. So you discover that your destination, uh, Jigao, is a coastal settlement, which is a string of villages that are home to a collection of folk from all over Jorhas. Goblin and orc class uh, clans founded the city, um, which explains why the gov- uh, it is now governed by two elders, which is a goblin <laughs> and an orc. Um, the Kryn Dynasty maintain a regiment of Aurora Watch, which is their military, um, in the um, city, under the command of a drow um, elf called Kaskand Durf Miram. Um, the townsfolk in Jagao tend to be competitive, and friendly rivalries are commonplace. Most of Jagao's residents live in a central region called the Jumble, and you find all that information out from your book. Wow, I'm a good reader. You are a good reader. Yeah. Um, we're going to leave Ava there, uh, alone to a region, and we're going to head below decks of the ship to the cargo hold. And there, hidden amongst the crates and barrels of food and goods, we catch a whisper of movement and catch a brief glimpse of the slither of dark scales. Uh, Yinan, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hello, yeah, well, what can I say? Short, 150 centimeters tall, Yuan T. Yep. Yeah, so. Light green skin, a bit, you can see a bit of scale forming on its hands and face. Okay. Well, as said, wild magic sorcerer, but... <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Very timid, very scared and unsecure <laughs> person. Okay. okay. That's great. As you hide amongst the crates, you suddenly hear the click and creak of the cargo hatch opening above you. You quickly press yourself amongst the crates, controlling your breathing. And remaining absolutely still. Could you roll a stealth check, please? With advantage. Uh, should I add my bonuses? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
I have a three and a four. What's your bonuses? <laughs> That's with my bonuses. I rolled a bunch oh. of two. Um, okay. Um, hidden amongst the crates, um, you peer through the gap and you see a tall, skinned drag, um clad in leathers, um, moves quickly to the back of the hold. Um, you hear a soft curse and then the soft sound of an object being placed on the floor. Softly, you hear the dry whisper something. Seek the stories other fears, others fear to know. And with that, the dry moves back towards the entrance. But as he does so, he stops and he hears you. And he says, ah, oh, a stowaway. Well, no matter. You'll be dead soon. And then he moves back to the entrance and he leaves the hold. Huh? We're going to leave too. And our gaze moves away from the ship, fleeing inland over the grey peaks of the tail end of the Dunrock Mountains. And we see the deep, thick vegetation of the Broken Vale Marsh stretching before us. Movement below when we move closer and the rank odours of the marsh mingle with the musty aroma of a fleet of gargantuan reptiles as we capture our first glimpse of the Roman village of Erzin. This strange goblinoid village moves slowly and endlessly through the swampy Zorhashian wastes. Its structures set atop the massive cells of horizon-backed tortoises. Stretching 80 to 100 feet long, these massive animals carry the backbone of the settlement, along with many hundreds of mobile tents and huts that shift with every relocation. The backs of these tortoises are covered front to back in rickety shacks and barracks, sometimes stacked in wild towers with long ropes and vines anchoring them in place. The rising back shells are reinforced at the edges with jagged pikes and sharpened bones to help defend those who live atop, while bolt throwers and short-range catapults can be found throughout the neighbourhoods. Every tortoise contains its own microcosm of a village, and denizens all take up skills to make the miniature community nearly self-sufficient, complete with moss farmers, blacksmiths and physicians. We focus in on one particular tortoise and on its mossy back, we find a large rickety building and inside warm lantern light, music and laughter. A tavern gently swaying from side to side as the tortoise plods on, a motion replicated by many of the more inebriated patrons within. We see a bar, orc barman wiping glasses with a semi-clean towel and at the other end of the tavern, a stage. And on that stage, we see a figure standing, instrument in hand, preparing to play. Licorice, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Licorice. I am a just reached adulthood turtle. Um, thing with turtles, normally completely bald. This turtle is ever so slightly deformed in that it has a tuft of black <laughs> hair on his forehead. Brilliant. The, the, the five or six strands that it ultimately is is combed forward, sweeping over <laughs> over one eye. It has a tattered loop is playing the sounds that no one has ever heard like technically really quite good how it sounds bit questionable a lot of talent not a lot of finesse um it's quite experimental (laughs) um quite gloomy um the eyes what it kind of looks like has happened and i can neither confirm or deny this is what's happened is that he stuck his finger in a fire and wiped black underneath his eyes but (laughs) he kind of exudes this slightly more um charismatic and sort of sparkly outlook but is seemingly trying to actively look like a down and out hobo brilliant thank you very much licorice could you make a performance check please sure can 15 ah no 19 Amazing. No, 18, sorry, I can't do maths. So, music fills the air without effort, like the waves filling holes in beach sand. Sound rushing in and around every person in the room. Some react to the beat, others continue in chatter, but this music 
speaks to them in some manner, almost as if before the notes filled the air, every person was an island, and with it they all feel the same tidal flows and the beginnings of togetherness begin to warm them. Leaving the bard to his music, we shift our gaze again to a darkened table at the back of the room, and we see a gnome. Gowling deliberately, despite the warmth of feeling from the music lifting his spirits, he keeps it well hidden. A half-drunk tankard a bitter ale before him as he sits alone, tinkering with a device on the table in front of him. Bodley, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, I'm Bodley. He's a young, deep gnome. Um, he's about three foot tall. He's got, he sort of um, has a grey, grey-blue complexion. He um, he looks sort of almost like a a, a sort of grey boy, I guess, to, to a full-sized uh, race. Um, he wears a set of kind of intricately made um, armor made of small um, you know metal scales of a, of a kind of dull gray um, metal and over that it's covered kind of many many sort of bandanas um, made out of a indistinguishable material that kind of looks like it might be hempen but not quite um, that contain uh, attached to which are many different sort of vials tools screwdrivers watch my jigs uh he's sort of plastered in them on top of his armor and he sort of just looks both uh happy to be or sort of content in his corner whilst also slightly wary um of kind of everything really the, <laughs> the entire world around him is um looks like it's putting him somewhat on edge okay uh, what are you tinkering with there on the on the table um he's got some sort of um kind of uh looks like a maybe doctor who's sonic screwdriver or something some sort of wand shaped device with lots of protruding um elements of completely impossible to discern <laughs> function okay make an intelligence check mate with your proficiency bonus uh that would be an 18. Amazing. Yeah, you um, you managed to successfully do whatever it was you were doing with your sonic screwdriver, and you hear a little grunt of satisfaction as he um, moves on to his next task. Okay, leaving the warmth of the tavern behind, we pull away and our gaze refocuses again deep in the swamp of the Broken Veil Marsh. There, frightened and alone, breath coming in panic gasps as she splashes and struggles through the bog, we see a young human woman. She looks around fearfully as the noises of creatures echo and snicker all around her, forcing her way through the marsh, exhausted, unable to remember how she arrived here. Sienna, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hello. Um, So I'm playing Sienna Sands, um, a human monk um, who doesn't quite know why she's here. Um, She has a bit of an idea, um, but is clearly, aside from everything, uh, in the surrounding marsh um, something is not quite right um, so she has green eyes um, she's about six foot tall um, she has wavy auburn uh, shoulder length hair um, slightly tanned skin, she's quite young um, she's about 27 um, very light on her feet as you might expect um, and she kind of has to be um, running from all the awful things in the surrounding marsh um, yeah, she has a a small necklace or, or kind of pendant around her neck. Lovely, thanks very much. Can you make a survival check, please? Mate? If you fail, you die. 
That was a nine, so... Survival, right? Eleven. Okay. <laughs> Finally, after what feels like days, you push through a mangrove thicket and collapse onto a patch of dry land. Too tired to even look up, you hear the echoing thumps of a massive creature crashing through the swamp towards you. Unable to move, you freeze and accept your fate, eyes closed. And then you hear the sound of goblin voices, harsh guttural sounds coming closer and the sound of heavy boots around you. Strong arms lift you in the air and just as you black out, you catch the glimpse of a gigantic mossy shell rising from the swamp ahead and then darkness takes you. Back to the ship now, just as the storm hits, thunder rolls and lightning flashes and as the waves rock the ship almost to tipping point, the wind is strong enough to pick up a man and fling him to the briny waves. The crew struggle and strain every muscle already working beyond normal capacity. Still, there's no end in sight to the wind and rain. Mireille, struggling to keep your feet on the deck as you bark orders at the crew, worried but confident in your ship and its crew to weather the squall. Sky, straining to fasten off a rope as the wind and rain batters your face and arms, and Ava, trying desperately to keep down your lunch in the cabin as the ship lurches back and forth. Yinan, panic setting in deep in the darkness of the hold as the noise of the storm and the pitch of the ship threatens to overwhelm your senses. Suddenly, Yinan, you hear a noise and a flash of arcane light from the other side of the hold. You watch in horror as the hold begins to fill with water, a vast hole suddenly appearing in the side of the ship, and you struggle to the cargo hatch. Thoughts are being discovered, vanished by the overwhelming need for survival. You reach the hatch just as the water rises enough in the hold to reach your legs, and you pull at the hatch door. It's locked securely from the outside. Panicking, you flail at the opening as the water reaches your chest, and then your neck, and finally you're submerged in dark, cold water. On the deck, Mireille, you immediately notice something's not right. The ship before was riding the huge waves of the storm fairly capably, but now seems sluggish and low in the water. Your previous confidence evaporates as a huge wave now crashes over the sides of the deck, and you realise the ship is way too low in the water. You realise in horror that the ship is sinking. You glance over and catch sight of Captain Canet shouting something at the dry quartermaster, Sanis, on the navigation deck. Moments later, the ship lurches savagely, and your eyes grow wide in fear as gigantic wave approaches from the port side. You see behind the captain a wall of angry foam and staring awe for a moment as the huge wave engulfs the ship. You feel the entire ship be lifted up, and you are now falling backwards, downwards, hands flailing out to your sides but catching only cool air. You feel a momentary panic and catch a fleeting glimpse of a blue-skinned deckhand falling beside you before something strikes your head hard and blackness takes your vision as the cold water wraps around your limbs. And that is where we're going to start in two weeks' time. Ooh. No, I demand you immediately carry on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there we go, guys. Thank you very much.